Uh, please open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, I, I continue to be so excited about the potential of this book to speak to us. Uh, most importantly, because whenever we open the Bible, as we all know, we are opening God's word. God is speaking to us. God is addressing us. God is encouraging us. God is calling us to faith and to hope and to life and to obedience. And there is no exception to that authority this morning. So let's read 1 Peter. We're going to be studying verses 6 and 7 this morning, but I'm going to read beginning in verse 3 just for the context. This is one long uh, section that flows together. Beginning in verse 3, focusing on verses 6 and 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials." So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. As you may know, the Olympic Games were postponed this year, very unusual occurrence, postponed due to the understandable precautions uh, about this virus. And I can only imagine uh, that some athletes who were very hopeful of winning a gold medal in this year's Olympic Games were greatly disappointed. For most people in the world, the news that you won't have to endure agonizing pain and long hours of brutal practice leading up to a brief moment of intense pressure and difficulty would be good news. <laughs> but then most of us are not Olympians. But for those who long for the gold, the Olympic trials and training, even with all of their difficulties and pain, are worth it. Because by them... They reveal themselves to be Olympians. They can endure the trials with joy because painful trials reveal their Olympic value. Well, in a similar way, Peter would want us to share this perspective as we face the trials of our faith. We are not merely those who profess to be Christians, but are unable or unwilling to prove the reality of our faith. No, we are those who are put to the test, even the painful test, and gladly so, because by that test, by that trial, we are shown to have true faith. Olympians of faith, or what we might call Christians, might have a motto. We can joyfully endure the trials that reveal true faith. We can joyfully endure the trials that reveal true faith. Now let's walk through uh, Peter's points this morning. Two points uh, that we're going to study to examine this calling that we have uh, 
to rejoice even through trials for the revealing of our faith. Two points, the joy of our faith and the testing of our faith. The joy of our faith and the testing of our faith. Let's look at the joy of our faith first. In verse six, Peter says, in this you rejoice. A very succinct but very powerful phrase. In that two-word uh, two intro, in this, he's pointing back to all that he said in verses three through five about the heavenly hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. In that hope, in this, Peter says, you rejoice. You rejoice. You can have joy in this. Regardless of what you are facing or enduring, he's going to talk about their grief and trials. Regardless of the pains of this life, you can rejoice in the heavenly hope that you have through Christ because of the grace of God the Father. In this, Peter says, you rejoice. Heaven is a cause of continual joy for the Christian. The Christian is to be one of perpetual joy in spite of anticipated grief until the Lord Jesus returns. Now, this joy is helped and aided. It is strengthened by the fact that these trials are necessary. Notice that word. It is a very important word. Verse six, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The same God who chose us for himself as Peter has described, and has granted us this magnificent inheritance, has prescribed trials as necessary for us. God gives neither more nor less trials of our faith than he deems necessary according to his good and loving will. These trials are necessary for us. They are necessary according to the wisdom of God. They are also temporary. They are for a little while. That phrase doesn't mean that all trials are brief in this life. We know from experience that that is not the case. Sometimes wheelchairs are lifelong. Certainly losses such as death of a loved one that we miss is lifelong. Some physical maladies are lifelong. Some financial struggles are lifelong. Not always. Many trials are temporary, even in this earthly life. We can be grateful for that. How many trials have we experienced only to see God ultimately deliver us out of them? Not all trials last forever, even in this life. But all trials end at the end of this life. And in light of the infinite nature of eternity, Peter can confidently say that all of our griefs are for a little while. Peter's giving in these two wonderfully succinct phrases aids and encouragements to the joy of our faith. This joy that is placed in heaven is strengthened by knowing that whatever griefs we face on earth are necessary and temporary. Now, we need these truths to strengthen us. God's purpose for our trials and, and, and the fact that they will come to an end should comfort us and strengthen our heavenly joy as we face them. If we forget these truths, our joy can and will diminish. We might think that chance or even our own choices is the ultimate cause of our trials, 
The ultimate defining cause of trials is not chance or even our own choices, but the providence of God. God's purpose and his definition of what is necessary is the ultimate cause of the temporary griefs that we face while we rejoice in the hope that God has given to us. But when we lose sight of this, our joy can diminish. The reality is there is never a tear, never a grief, never a sadness, never a loss that is not necessary for God's good purpose in our lives. Now, when we lose sight of the sovereignty of God, his right to declare what is necessary, neither more nor less, we can begin to experience a diminishing of our heavenly joy. Sometimes we lose sight of God's sovereignty because we're focused on the secondary causes of grief secondary causes of grief. God uses means to accomplish what is necessary for the testing of his people. If we are focused primarily on secondary causes of grief, our joy in God will begin to diminish. Now, we might rightly be aware of powerful leaders or evil forces, of sickness or disappointing spouses or children, or even our own sin. And all of these may play a hand in our grief. Certainly, we may certainly be aware of the enemy himself, Satan, who looks to sift God's people and to come against them throughout the age of the church. We may be aware of how he is doing that and tempting believers all over the world right now and will continue to do that until Jesus returns. We are aware of those secondary and powerful and painful causes of grief, but But above all of those secondary causes is the providence and sovereignty of our God. He declares and gives to no being the right to declare what is necessary for his people. And so when we look at that precious word in light of the promises given in verses three to five, we can declare that what comes to us by way of grief is necessary and no more. It is necessary, it is temporary, and it is necessary. So, brothers and sisters, do not be so caught up in the secondary causes of grief, real as they are, that you lose sight of the providence and promises of God and his right to declare what is necessary according to his good, loving, and perfect will. Our joy in our future inheritance is strengthened by our confidence in God's present sovereignty and wisdom. It is not enough. Listen to this. Listen, it is not enough to only know of our future inheritance. We must believe that our current circumstances are determined by the wisdom and will of our Lord. Many Christians who have a great ultimate hope in heaven, live as though God has taken our future out of his own hands and placed them either in ours or in the hands of other causes in this world. But our present suffering is not up to us to figure out or worse, left to the whim of Satan or his puppets in this world. God decrees what is necessary for his people and God decrees when that suffering will end. Therefore, we can rejoice. 
We can rejoice in our heavenly hope and in God preserving us and only giving us those griefs that are necessary according to his good and perfect will. What good news this is. What good news this is when we think about bad news, when we think about griefs that may come or that have come, we can declare nothing happens to me except what is necessary according to the one who chose me boy, his foreknowledge and inherited me in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the joy of our faith. It is fixated on heaven and it is strengthened by the knowledge of the sovereignty of God. Good news, is it not? This is why we can joyfully endure the trials that grieve us. This is why we can confidently proclaim as well that the Christian life is not a promise of removal from trials, but of preservation and mercy in trials. This is why we don't need to be surprised or shocked or dismayed or assume when griefs come that this is God abandoning us. It is not. It is God giving us what is necessary for us. Let me urge us. Find comfort in these words. We are meant to have an enduring joy, a faith that is exhibited by joy, not a happy optimism that neglects the certainty of grief, not a pessimism that renders us merely the whims of chance and leaves blowing on the wind of hopelessness and helplessness. No, but people who are in the loving grip of God and are facing real grief with joy. Because of these truths, we can be what the scripture calls us, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Brother, sister, let me urge you, when sorrows come, be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And yet, miraculously, God does not leave us only with those reasons for joy. And would they not be enough? How many biblical passages could we reach halfway through the passage and then declare that is enough reason to rejoice in the goodness of our God? How many passages are like that? And yet, like so many, he keeps going. He keeps going and gives us another reason for us to have enduring joy as we view the painful trials of this life. Not only does he describe the joy of our faith, he also talks about the value of our faith. Point number two, the value of our faith that is demonstrated through trials. Notice what he says as the passage continues. You are rejoicing, though now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials. Notice this verse seven. So that, here's the result. Here's God's providential goal. He's expanding on why it is necessary. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to tell us why. He can just say, because I told you so, but he does not. He tells us why. Why is it necessary in the perfect wisdom of God for us to suffer griefs in this life? It is necessary so that the tested genuineness of your faith. What a precious phrase. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now just to understand the, the 
basic structure of this sentence. Let's just do something just to understand it. Uh, Set aside just for a moment, we'll come back to it, this parenthesis. You probably see it in your Bibles is set off by a dash or something. This parenthesis about gold. We'll come back to that. Let's just look at the basic sentence here. The tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And let's walk backward through this section to see the logic of it, okay? When Jesus reveals himself to this world, there will be a great reversal of glory. The human boasting that appears to have glory in this world will have nothing but shame. And those who have battle-tested faith in Jesus will receive honor. When the Lord Jesus is revealed, he will bring with him glory for his true people. But the only people who will receive that honor are those whose faith has been proven as authentic through the difficulties of this life. And before you are concerned or raise an objection, God will certainly give every Christian the necessary testing so that they can demonstrate authentic faith in the end. It's not up to us to decide what is necessary. It is up to him. But it is certainly the case that only battle-tested Christians will receive the honor for battle-tested faith. This is the logic of the passage. When Jesus returns, he brings with him glory and honor and praise for those whose faith has been demonstrably shown to be true faith. In God's providence, listen to this, untested faith will not receive future glory. Untested faith will not receive future glory. Now, it is not up to us to decide what the test will be, but it is up to us to anticipate it and to face it with joy. Untested faith will not receive future glory. Soldiers who never fought in the battle will not receive a battle commendation, but faith that is proven genuine will receive heavenly affirmation. We will have the privilege of receiving his affirmation, heavenly glory, and of course, the honor of laying every crown of affirmation at his feet as the one worthy of it all. Now, lest we think that Peter is questioning their faith or sowing doubt in their faith, let's look back at this parenthesis now. Look back at this parenthesis set off by these dashes. Your faith, and Peter pauses to describe their faith, to encourage them, to let them know, I'm not questioning the value of your faith. I'm just trying to prepare you for how that value can be revealed. Your faith is more precious than gold, he says. Gold is actually valuable. It is truly, is objectively valuable. But there may be some doubt about whether that particular lump of rock is real gold. There are, after all, a lot of rocks lying around, and there are a lot of people lying around who might claim to have true faith. But gold that is worth receiving gold-level attention, gold-level valuation, is not gold that just declares itself to be gold. It's gold that can be authenticated, proven, tested, If we can personalize gold, a piece of rock walking into a store declaring itself to be worth a million dollars is not going to be taken as worth a million dollars unless it can prove itself to be gold. That's what Peter is saying. But real gold can prove itself to be gold. Gold, Peter says, 
is tested by fire. It is both refined so that the dross is burned away, and in that refining it is shown to be real gold because it does not burn away. And yet, he says, even gold will perish in the great fire of God's final judgment, unlike the faith of those who believe in Jesus. So he's both comparing their faith to gold and declaring that their faith is superior to gold. He's saying, unlike most things, gold will exist through earthly fire. It will be refined, certainly, but it will be revealed, authenticated. In a similar way, our faith will be tested by fiery trials in this life. And yet, true faith will endure through those trials and griefs. It will be shown to be real, authentic, and valuable. And even more than gold, when the fire of God's judgment comes, rather than being consumed and destroyed, our faith will endure. Our faith will be shown to escape that fire and judgment, to be beyond that fire and judgment, because we have believed in the one who faced God's judgment in our place. Brothers and sisters, this is glorious truth for everyday life. This is glorious truth for Tuesday night and next Thursday when you're reading a news report or you're wondering about the future or you're facing physical pain. This is truth for your souls. The gold of your faith must, in God's providence, must be tested. There is no other path for the Christian. There is the path of testing and there is the path of not having true faith. There is no third path. There is no third path of true faith that is not tested. There is no third path of gold that is not refined. There is no third path. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Jesus himself declares in this world, you will have trouble. We would do well to agree with the Lord on his intention on what is best for his people. And when we agree with him, though it is painful and might be worrisome, it can ultimately lead to peace and enduring joy because he decides what is necessary for the proving of our faith. This is good news. This means that we should value our faith and the testing of it more even than those things that we might lose in the test. We should value our faith in the testing of it more than those things we might lose in the test. Commentator Karen Jobes comments on this. She says, the faith of Peter's readers is being smelted in the fire of various kinds of trials in this life. But when the most precious things of this world, such as gold, have been destroyed by fire, Christian faith that has been proved genuine will be shown to be the most precious of all because it will deliver one from that day of final fiery destruction when Jesus Christ is revealed. Therefore, Peter reminds his readers that genuine Christian faith is more valuable than anything the world can offer. 
It is more valuable than anything the world can offer. It is not that things in this world are not valuable or should not be prized and enjoyed by us. They should be, but they must be valued rightly. And Christian faith is more valuable than all of those things and is revealed to be so when a Christian clings to faith in spite of the loss of other treasures. Proven faith through painful trials is the pathway to heavenly glory. Peter might say to us, you might think of the suffering you are facing or you could face like a burning fire, consuming the idols of your life and putting intense pressure on your dreams and desires. It might be extremely difficult and painful, but do not lose heart. The very pain that you are facing is actually a gift to you. It is giving you the refining and the authentication that will be the basis for heavenly glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. It is a painful gift to to be sure, but it is a gift because by it, you are proven worthy of future glory. We need this perspective about suffering. We need a heavenly mindedness that values proven faith more than earthly treasures. Now we treasure many things as gifts of the Lord and we should in this life. We treasure our health, we treasure our jobs, we treasure our families, we treasure our country, we treasure our political freedoms, we treasure our financial security. We value those things as gifts of mercy from the Lord. Reasons for us to give thanks in all things to our generous King who gives us much, much more than we deserve. But suffering means inevitably the loss of earthly treasures, things that may not be bad in themselves, but that it is certainly painful to lose. Suffering means the loss of earthly treasures, and this is why suffering is a painful gift to us. Suffering is the means of proving that our faith treasures Christ above all earthly treasures. Suffering proves that our faith is truly from heaven because it is not sunk by any loss on earth. Suffering proves that we are rejoicing with heavenly joys because earthly sorrows, though real, do not take that joy away. Suffering distinguishes between a professing faith that claims to treasure heaven in Christ and eternal glory above all else and true faith that actually does. Now let's pause. Let's let this passage examine us and encourage us. Examine us and encourage us. Let's do the examining first. This passage says that Christians can rejoice in suffering not because their earthly comfort is guaranteed, but because they have an unfading heavenly inheritance. Peter says that we can face suffering not because we're sure not to lose anything, but because in losing earthly treasures with faith, we can be assured of heavenly affirmation. Now, pause. Is there anything in our life that we might count more precious than proven faith and heavenly glory? Is there anything in our life that we might value more than proven faith and heavenly glory? doesn't have to be a bad thing in itself. Most things are not. 
but it must not be valued more. Pause for a moment and consider. If we cannot willingly offer to the Lord all that we love in a quiet moment listening to a Sunday sermon from our home, we will most certainly struggle when the fiery test actually comes upon us. So pause. Can you feel, which I can, in reading and thinking about this passage, can you feel the squirming of your heart at the difficult logic of this passage? But we must surrender to it if we are going to be faithful to any suffering that we face. Now, we are not masochists. We don't delight in pain, and we don't initiate it as if we know what is necessary better than the Lord. To try to initiate suffering intentionally is to be arrogant and to tell the Lord we know what is necessary more than he does. But we should be prepared for it to the best of our ability. We should hold up to the Lord our treasures and place them humbly in his hands. We should be able to tell him at least that whatever he deems necessary, we will receive as for our good. Brothers and sisters, we must have the right perspective, the biblical perspective, Peter's perspective on suffering. And if Peter himself was sought after by Satan to sift him like wheat, which Jesus said, or if Job was afflicted, if Daniel was thrown to the lions and the three young men into the furnace, if Luther was pursued like a deer on the hunt and Tyndale and Latimer and Ridley were imprisoned and burned, if all the Christians in every age has fa- have faced the sufferings and trials of their faith, we would be fools to assume that we will not face the fire of suffering, the loss of some treasure or other until our time comes. Indeed, we should not even want to be those that hear the trumpet of the Lord's return and have no tests of faith to lay at his feet. Now, we do not know what those tests are. God does. But we can say to him willingly, humbly, soberly, but say to him, here are my treasures You may do with them what you will for your glory and for the demonstrating of the value and preciousness of the faith that is a gift from you and will rebound to your glory, which I will lay at your feet on that day. Brothers and sisters, we must be prepared to lay our treasures at his feet. Let me say again, if we can't do that right now in this relatively comfortable moment, how much harder will it be for us when the test actually comes to us? We, we must lay them by faith and say to him, take all I am, Lord, and all that I cling to. You are my savior. I owe everything to It is tempting, but it does no good to tell the Lord what we would prefer to suffer and what we would prefer not to. Just as it does no good to assume if we reference a treasure that we are surrendering, he won't cause us to lose that, or if we don't reference it, he will. God is not a genie. He's not tricked by our prayers. God already knows what is necessary for us and what is overly burdensome for us. He does not need us to help him figure out what we need. 
Don't be superstitious about offering your treasures to the Lord. The Lord is not a genie. He's God. He already knows. But it is good for us to identify those treasures in our lives that first come to mind and offering them willingly to the Lord. Doesn't mean that he will choose to take them. It just means that we're telling him that he can, that we trust him. We trust what he deems necessary and that we value the faith given to us in the Lord Jesus more than every earthly treasure. Spurgeon said this very discerningly about our heart. Any cross but the one I have, cried one. Surely, he says, it would not be a cross if you had the choosing of it. For it is the essence of a cross that it should run counter to our likings. It is the essence of a cross that it should run counter to our likings. Listen, to surrender to the Lord is not to invite suffering nor is it to ward off suffering. The Lord knows. He knows what we need, and he is also watching our hearts. Let us worship him by letting this passage, this logic, that precious faith and proven faith is worth painful trials. Let us let that truth conform our minds, define us the way the Bible does. We should agree with the Lord that our faith is more precious than any pain of any trial. Now, if this passage has examined you, let me urge you to take those treasures to the Lord and declare willingly that whatever he deems necessary, we will gladly give up. We will face any grief that he sends our way, looking forward to that heavenly glory and the proven faith that we will offer him on that day. But let's also let this passage encourage us. I don't think most of us probably have faced the kind of suffering that first Peter's audience did. And so it's good for us to prepare for future suffering that may look more like what they had to face. But some of us, and all of us at some level, are experiencing or have experienced real suffering, real pain. Certainly, all of us at some level are experiencing the difficulties of living in a fallen world with a divided heart surrounded by sinners. All of us are facing that suffering at the very least, and some of us are experiencing more profound suffering still. So let's let this passage, this logic, encourage you. If you are currently suffering and you are still following Jesus, let me encourage you. If you are weary in doing good as an evidence of your faith, let me encourage you. Your suffering, your endurance is proving the reality of your faith, your works of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in this weary world is showing an eternal gold in your soul, gold valued by heaven itself. 
and assessed as worthy of eternal honor. If you have endured losses and yet believed in Jesus, there is glory waiting for you. If you have suffered pain and yet believed in Jesus, there is honor waiting for you. If you have suffered betrayal and yet believed in Jesus, there is praise waiting for you. If you have labored in the difficulties of this broken world, there is vindication waiting for you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you cannot easily see the reason for your suffering, if you cannot easily see the reason for your suffering, if God has not given you clarity on why or from where your suffering is approaching, do not search endlessly for that reason. Do not search endlessly for the second causes of suffering. There is more encouragement in the knowledge of God than in the knowledge of the reason for suffering. There is more encouragement in the knowledge of God than in the knowledge of the reason for suffering. Don't search endlessly for it because that search can distract you from what can really encourage your soul. Listen to what Wayne Grudem says about this. He says, God's purposes in present grief may not be fully known in a week, in a year, or even in this lifetime. Some will only be discovered at the day of final judgment when the Lord reveals the secrets of all hearts and commends with special honor those who trusted him in hardship, even though they could not see the reason for it. They trusted him simply because he was their God and they knew him to be worthy of trust. It is in times when the reason for the hardship cannot be seen that trust in God alone seems to become the most pure and precious in his sight. Such faith he will not forget, but will store up as a jewel of great value and beauty to be displayed and delighted in on the day of judgment. Such faith he will not forget. Do not think that finding an answer or a secondary cause is of greater encouragement than the promise of the Lord Jesus that your faith is being tested according to the necessary and loving and perfect will of God. And in that test, he is prepared preparing you for a glory that will be revealed when the glorious son of God returns and you will be able to lay that unknown reason at his feet as an act of worship every day today and on that day as well. And he will declare that his glory is to be preferred over the comforts that you have had to give up while you endured with faith in him. Now, brothers and sisters, whether we are seeking to be prepared for suffering or we are suffering now and we're trying to cling to the joyful faith that we are to have during trial. Let me give you one final reason. One final reason why we can have joy as we endure the trials that prove our faith. Our road to glory is through the path of suffering and our heavenly glory flows from battle-tested faith precisely because that is the road of our Savior himself. It was Christ Jesus who for the joy set before him endured our cross, our shame, 
our guilt, our condemnation. It was Christ Jesus who became a man of sorrows to bear our burdens. It was Christ Jesus who suffered the loss of all things so that he could grant us the gain of this heavenly inheritance. It was Christ Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost and in doing so sacrificed himself in our place. For Christ, the way to glory was the way up the hill called Calvary. And the New Testament repeatedly prepares us prepares us that the way to share in his glory is to share in his cross, not a cross of atoning for our sins, but a cross of faithful suffering that reveals the true faith that God has planted in our hearts and that will be commended when the crucified and risen Savior rises in the end. As with the master, so with the servants. As with the Savior, so with the saved. For the joy set before us, we endure the cross that he has decided is necessary, accepting with humble joy and obedient surrender the trials that he prescribes for us with our eyes fixed on the revelation of Jesus Christ and the glory and the honor and praise that he will give to all those who have the credentials of proven suffering. And we know this is Peter's intention that we have our eyes fixed on Jesus because of where he goes in verse eight. Let me read it and we'll study it more depth in the future. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe Believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We can endure suffering with joy. We can prepare to endure suffering with joy, knowing that trials prove the reality of our faith in Jesus. And such faith is indeed worth much more than gold, as the Lord Jesus is worth much more to us than anything. We can endure suffering with our ears tuned for that trumpet call and our hearts straining to see his glory break through the clouds. We can endure suffering with joy because we long to hear his well done. We can endure suffering with joy knowing that we can lay every loss at his feet as a declaration of our grateful worship for the one who carried our souls to the cross and carried our hearts to the end and rose again to give us living hope. Let us... Endure suffering with joy, rejoicing even as we grieve in hope of his revelation when he will make all things new, all wrongs right, all losses for him will be gains, all suffering will be vindicated, and all pain suffered with faith in him will become a heavenly chorus. All suffering that is shamed by this world will be for the Christian an honor in the end. And we will see his face who bore the cross for us and we will lay our crosses at his feet and then the crowns that he gives us for bearing them. And we will say with all of our saints, brothers and sisters from every age, from him and to him and through him are all things 
To him be praise and glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, our cross. So now, Lord, compared to that, we bear little crosses. Little crosses that are necessary and temporary. And Lord, we do it with enduring joy. Lord, for any who are weary of doing good, comfort them with the joy that their enduring faith will be honored at your return. Lord, for any of us that are tempted to cling to treasures rather than laying them at your feet, Lord, give us greater joy at your return and the glory that comes from you than anything, even good things in this life. Be pleased, Lord Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.